All right. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, in teaching. He who exhorts, in exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you were so gracious to reveal it to us. And we ask, Lord, as now as we study it, Lord, that you would work in us supernaturally by your Holy Spirit. We pray that he would be our teacher this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to receive your word to where you can produce a harvest through our lives exponentially, Lord. And so we ask, Lord, for you to bring application as only you can to these verses and speak to us individually, Lord. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you yet, Lord, that they would come to know you and that you would change them and transform them and, and help them, Lord, in every way that you want to help them, especially related to eternal life. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We are currently in a series of going over the Calvary Chapel distinctives. We are looking at what we believe, why we believe it. If you haven't listened to the, te- the previous teachings, I would encourage you to download our app, uh, Calvary Chapel Manteca, in your app store, and listen to those previous teachings. They're very foundational. You'll understand why we do what we do. And actually, more importantly, or maybe more um, of a common issue, is why we don't do certain things. And so that will help you understand why we function how we function and everything so you can do that on our website or on our church app but I would highly encourage you to do that we started with calling is everything that was the first teaching that we did in this series calling is everything everything flows from our calling then we went to it's Jesus's church let him build it Jesus said I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it so we're not called to build the church we're called to preach the gospel and those are two different things And we're called to love people, to build them up, but we're not called to build the church. And if I believe that it's my job to build the church, and if I think that it's up to me to decide what the church is to be about, I'm going to yank the congregation all over the place based on the latest book that I've read or the latest trend or the latest fad instead of having a biblical basis and a solid foundation upon which Jesus builds his church. We also looked at the priority of the word why we teach the word of God verse by verse, why we go through it from Genesis to Revelation, why do we, why do we cover the whole entire Bible, why, why would we teach Leviticus on a Sunday morning when other churches wouldn't? There's reasons for that. Why would we teach Hebrews or, or Micah or any of these books that very difficult to find someone's teaching in a, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, and why the word of God is so important to our lives. Last week we looked at 
empowered by the Spirit, that we believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit, that he empowers us and immerses us in himself so that we can overflow with him and we can have power to be a witness to Jesus. Jesus said that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be, my wit- you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we are called to be witnesses. And there are a lot of churches, unfortunately, that are powerless. And we ourselves, at times, are powerless. And we need God to fill us, to refill us, and to be walking in that power. Today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's gifts and that the gifts are for today. It's very important of what we believe, why we believe it, how the church is supposed to function. We're going to look at that biblical basis for the gifts of the Spirit being for today. If you look at a snapshot of many churches today, sometimes you might see a extreme, one of two extremes. You either see churches that don't really ever talk about the Holy Spirit. As we talked about last week, they believe that the, the all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get is at salvation. There's no refillings. There's no baptism with the Spirit potentially subsequent to salvation. Uh, and it's, it's lots of different things that go on, but there's not a lot of power and there's not a lot of gifts represented. Then there might be some other churches at the other extreme where it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the gifts. It's all about miracles. It's all about those things all the time. If we don't have a miracle happening, something's wrong. You know, we have to have one every five minutes. Uh, we're going to manufacture those things, you know, even with good intentions. You know, we're going to do something to where we need to make something happen, that kind of thing. And some of you have been burned by that. Some of you have been harmed by those churches. You, you've been, you've maybe been raised in it. You've seen all kinds of error. You've seen all kinds of weirdness. Um, just like, you know, why don't people just go join the circus and get it out of their system? You know what I mean? It's like um, there's just craziness going on. And you don't want anything to do with that. And you're like, if that's what it means to be engaged in the baptism with the Spirit, um, I don't want anything to do with that. And, and you don't want the, anything to do with the gifts of the Spirit because you've seen the abuse of the gifts. But the answer to um, a bad representation of the gifts of the Spirit being used is not throwing out the whole thing. It's, it's a biblical use of the gifts of the Spirit. It's things being done decently and in, and in order, like the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that God is not the author of confusion, but the, but the God of peace. And so things need to be done decently in order. Some, to some people, when you talk about orderly and all of that, they hear quenching of the Spirit. How, you know, things need to be out of control if the Holy Spirit has freedom to do what he wants to do and all of that. No, because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So there's not going to be out of control things going on because he is a God of order and things need to be done decently and in order. But that doesn't mean that because they're done decently and in order that I'm necessarily going to be comfortable with what's going on and can control it and, and, and you know, make sure nothing happens when I don't want it to happen. And those kind of things... When God moves, sometimes he moves very unexpectedly. You remember from the Lord Jesus' public ministry, constantly surprising the disciples of what he would say, what he would do, how he would handle situations, how he would heal. He would heal differently in some situations versus others. Um, They expected him to be, you know, in Samaria, um, or not Samaria, but along the coast there of Galilee. They expected him to be so, you know, just ready to to engage them after they've been responding well and he gets up in in the morning and Peter comes to him and says everybody's looking for you and 
in other words, we have momentum, Jesus. We have momentum. This is what all of the, the, the church growth people have been talking about. <laughs> you know, we have momentum. We've got to keep this rolling. We've got to do the obvious thing. And he said, no, no, no. That's not what God's told me to do right now, to, do, to go and stay here. We need to go to these other places. Made no sense in the natural. That's how God works. See, there's many things that happen that make no sense in the natural, but the Holy Spirit's leading a specific way. When Philip was led to go to the desert, after he's in Samaria, God's using him greatly, and they're coming to know the Lord and everything, and then he tells them to go to the desert. And um, that didn't make any sense. No one would understand that. No one would say, hey, you know, I, man, Philip's like, he's hearing from the Lord. It's like 10 for 10, 10 out of 10. You know, he's, he's, he's hitting it. They'd go, well, okay, well, we'll see, you know. And he left, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And who knows the impact that that Ethiopian eunuch, after he comes to know Christ, uh, would make when he would make it back to his home uh, country. So there's a lot of things that don't make sense. But we need, as we talked about last week, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit functioning in our lives, through our lives, and all of that. The, the, the Christian church is a supernatural church. That's how God intended it. I want to read you something that, that Jesus said at the end of Mark's gospel in chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. He said, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That is not an impotent, powerless description of the church. That's a description of the church walking in Christ's power with the supernatural going on in their lives, through their lives. He would also say in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. So Jesus' expectation is that the church would walk in the supernatural. But because it makes people uncomfortable, they've explained it away, and many of them say that, well, those, that was just those gifts and miracles were only done by the apostles, and they were only done to get the church going until the word of God was formally put together, and then, you know, then they went off the scene. And like, where, is that? where does it say that? Where's, what's your biblical basis for that? For decades they would say that. And then they finally say, well, yeah, all the gifts are there except the sign gifts. They have a whole separate category for sign gifts. Those are like the real supernatural ones, like tongues and miracles and healings and all those things. And they explain that away. It doesn't make a separate category for those things in Scripture. But they've done that in their minds. So the result of that is powerless. Gifts aren't happening those things and it's so important that's one of the things i mean the beginning of the calvary chapel movement from the very beginning it was dependence upon the holy spirit and it was people using their gifts and was reaching out to those hippies and those hippies come into christ by the hundreds and hundreds every week and and the pastor chuck just letting people do what god's called them to do giving these hippies a platform to sing their worship songs at that time they were only singing hymns in churches there was no choruses and things like we sing now. And he let these hippies get it. And it wasn't, his, it wasn't his comfort zone. He was still, he would prefer hymns. That wasn't, but he was so far ahead of his time and realized the Holy Spirit's leading differently than what I prefer and what I'm used to. 
And God is supernaturally putting gifts in these people and, and giving them, I need to give them opportunities to share those gifts. I need to give them opportunities to uh, be used by God. And so, so important. So today we're going to look at the importance of the gifts. And I want to look at this passage and a couple other passages. So let's begin in verse 1, Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So the imagery here is the burnt offering that Paul is bringing up. These were most mainly Jews that became Christians that were in this church. And presenting your body a living sacrifice, that is something that's an expression of worship. The burnt offering would be totally consumed. And it was an expression that my life's being totally consumed and and used up for the Lord. I'm convinced that that was the imagery there. And then he says in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you present your bodies a, a, a living sacrifice, and then you make a purpose, you, make, you set out to have a purpose to not let your, your whole being be conformed to, the, to the, um, the way that this world is to the image of this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that mainly happens through the word of God. And then he gets into um, just having the right attitude. In verse 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, And then he gets into what we're going to be talking about related to the gifts in the body. He says, For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, verse 5, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. So we were, were one body all over this world, outside of this church, Every Christian church, every Christian believer is part of the body of Christ all around the world. All, every time zone, every country, there's believers, in, I think, in every country now. And, and, and we're all connected. We're all part of one body. We're connected to Jesus, who is the head. He's the true senior pastor. He's the head shepherd. He's the true shepherd, the good shepherd. And we're all connected to him. And we're He's placed us in the body for a specific purpose. And verses 6 through 8 here, we're going to see Paul address the need to use faith in exercising these gifts that he's going to talk about. Look with me in verse 6. He says, Having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he says, look at the, in the middle of verse 6, he says, the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We actually, it's, it's, when we are given a spiritual gift, and each one of us has been given at least one spiritual gift. Some of us have more than one spiritual gift. But we've been given at least one spiritual gift. And that's an expression of God's grace. We didn't earn it. We don't have the gift because we're worthy. We don't have the gift because we're deserving. We have have the gift because he just sovereignly decided that that's who he made us to be. 
And that's where he's going to place us in his body. But then he says, at the middle of verse 6, let us use them. And maybe that's a word for somebody, maybe in the sense that you've been resisting this. You've known that God wants to use you. You know that you've been given one or more gifts. And you've been hesitant. Here's God's word for you this morning. Let us use them. It's, he's not suggesting it. This is not a recommendation. This is him saying, let us use them. He doesn't say, you use them. He's saying, let us. I'm included in that. I need to use my gifts. The Apostle Paul wasn't immune to, to, saying, to being tempted from using his gifts and just being, a like they say, a pew potato or whatever. You know, just, uh, it's not a spectator thing. It's we're all called to be used by the Lord in building up one another and helping make disciples to be made. So he says, let us use them. If we refuse to let God or to use God's gifts in our lives, we're sinning. Can I be that direct, lovingly? If we refuse to use our spiritual gifts that God's given us, we're sinning. Because he who knows to do what is good and does not do it, to him it is sin, we're told in Scripture. So he tells us to do it. And he, and he, but he says there that we're supposed to utilize faith in using our gifts. Why would we need faith to use our gifts? Because we're scared. What will happen if I fail? What if I make a mistake? What if I don't do it perfectly? Yes, God, God is so gracious. And we need to know that. He's gracious with us. And he wants us to step out in faith and use these gifts. And that's what he says. If, if, if your, your gift is prophecy, you need to prophesy in proportion to your faith. In ministry, that's the gift of serving people. There in verse 7, use it. It, what is it? Faith. Let us use faith in ministering. Can I do this, Lord? Can I serve this person the way that you want me to serve them? I need to trust you so that I can do this uh, whatever it is that God has before me to serve this person and using my gift of ministry, I need to trust him that he's going to take care of all the details and help me do it and give me the strength and the time and all that to do it. He who teaches, use it, use faith in teaching. If you're called to teach, God definitely will give you grace to be able to teach and you need to trust him for that. That he, it won't all collapse and they won't all just walk, stand up and walk out at, one, at any given moment. The very first time I taught, I wish I had a tape of that. I, th- I think I used to. It was pretty, pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> more than the normal bad. I mean, just like stuttering and sweating and almost passing out. And I just, how can I even talk? I feel so bad for those people. It was just God's grace for them to hear what I had to say. But, and then the next time it was only like 0.5% easier you know I mean not a big jump and slowly and slowly over years and years and years it's gotten gotten a lot easier but I still have to use faith lots of faith in teaching he who exhorts an exhortation what is exhortation is when you stir someone up and challenge them and encourage them to obey God's word it takes faith to do that because sometimes it's hard for people to hear things that are hard to hear and you have to trust that the Lord's going to take care of you related to taking that risk and telling someone something difficult and, and you, you, know, you care more about what God thinks about you than what they may think about you and trusting him with your reputation. So it takes faith to do that. He who gives with liberality. Why would we need faith to give financially? Because we're trusting the Lord that when we give, you know, we're, 
Scripture talks about when we give, it needs to be sacrificial, it needs to be proportional, and it needs to be cheerful. That's the three principles in the New Testament related to giving. And, and so God's never going to be anyone's debtor. That's why he has all those promises associated with sowing and reaping and how he, he's going to bless us and all those things. Not as a motivation of why we should give. That's the faith teachers. That's the false teachers out there. It's a safety net for us to encourage us that you, we can trust him, that where he's going to take care of us if we put his kingdom first and we sow into his kingdom the way he wants us to do it. So the, he says, use faith for that. Trust me to take care of your needs if you're giving sacrificially. I'm, you, no one's going to, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. He who leads with leading, with diligence. Why would we need to have faith to lead? Because it takes, it takes a, an incredible amount of courage to lead. Because people don't always want to go the direction that you know they're supposed to go. And it takes faith to trust that God's going to take care of those details. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Why does it take faith to extend mercy? Those of you that have the gift of mercy, where you really, really ache for people when things happen, and you have so much compassion for people, he tells you in other places to do it with the right attitude and the right perspective, with joy, because you can start owning those things and, and carrying those burdens that you're not supposed to carry, and, and you're supposed to just be there in that place of support and care for them, but it's difficult. And he says you need to do it with cheerfulness because without faith, you're not going to be doing it with cheerfulness because you're going to be focused on their problem and what they're going through to the neglect of how great our God is and how big our God is and not seeing their problem through the filter of his sovereignty. So you're not going to be full of joy and cheerfulness and all of that. But it takes faith to do all those things. So very important we see here for us to be able to respond to our great um, inheritance that we have in Christ by giving our bodies up as a living sacrifice for him and surrendering and then using the faith he's been given. He's given us all a, a, a portion of faith to be able to use that, to be able to use the gifts that he's given us in a biblical way where we're not holding back. We're not, we're not offering up 40% of our gift or holding back a little bit and not going all the way with using our gift. He says, no, use faith and go all the way and trust me and use it beyond what you think you naturally would do apart from me and what I have, my resources for it. Now let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're going to look at another aspect of the importance of spiritual gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12. I want to begin reading in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I just want to stop there. I could teach a whole sermon on this verse. Um, not just to you, but to me. Because we all need to grow in our knowledge of spiritual gifts, myself included. But he says, concerning spiritual, spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So if we know that God doesn't want us to be ignorant and we continue or choose to not grow in our knowledge of spiritual gifts, we're out of God's will in that area, right? He wants us to not be ignorant related to spiritual gifts. That's what his will is for us. It's clear as anything can be in scripture right here. And then he says in verse 2, You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, 
and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, therefore, or there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So he wants them to know, wants us to know, there's all these different ways that the Holy Spirit can work through us. He calls them gifts, he calls them ministries, and he calls them activities. You can do a word study in all three of those, and you'll, you'll learn a lot about what's there and what they mean. But he's saying all those distinct things that happen as a result of the Holy Spirit working has a common denominator, and that is the Holy Spirit in the same God that works all of them. In other words, don't be stumbled by all the different ways that God can work through you or work through others. It's beautiful. See, we think of God as a creator because he created the universe, he created us. But when we think about design and we think about how he made humanity be able to be so creative, that's a reflection of him because he's an amazing creator. When you see people being creative, that's supposed to reflect how beautiful our God is and how an amazing creator he is. We can't even build cameras that are like our eye. We can't even build a computer that can work like our brains. But yet, you know, computers and cameras, they happen by you know, design, that's obvious, but the human body, oh no, that happened by random chance, you know, yeah, I don't have that much faith, sorry, you know, there's all this obvious design in who we are, and the creativity that we see is because God is creative, he's a creative God, he loves to express himself, and one of the ways that he expresses himself is through us as believers, because we're directable, or, or we're we, he can direct us in certain ways and, and we can find out what his will is for our lives and find out what his plan is and, and his gifts and all those things and we can realize those things because we're surrendered to him and he can direct us properly. Unbelievers, he can't do that because they're in rebellion to him. But believers, he can direct their lives and so when we see someone submitted to the Lord wanting what he wants for their lives above anything else and seeing all the opportunities that he provides because they're submitted to him and seeing their gifts and knowing their gifts and all of that and they step out in faith and they use the faith that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12 and they're honoring the Lord in that and they're stepping out those are the ones that are the most used it's not the most gifted naturally amazing people it's the people that are the most surrendered and available available I told you this before when I was a new Christian one of the things they told me taught me and I never forgot it is that you need to be fat. So I followed that to a T. Now, now, maybe not how you're thinking. Come on now. But you need to be faithful, available, and teachable. Fat. And the extent to which you are faithful, available, and teachable, in part, is the extent to which God will use you. The people that are used the most are the ones that aren't the greatest gifted people and the most naturally talented it's the people that are holy and the people that are set apart and the people that are available for God to use them and they just God takes such a little tiny little gift that they have and he multiplies it 10 times 50 times and these people when you see how God uses them and they and people want to give them glory they're like no 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 you don't understand I am not that gifted this has been God 100% And they're not just doing that because it's the right thing to say. They really believe it because they know that it's just a very small thing that he's taken and multiplied it. Because he loves to do it. Because when he uses the foolish things of this world like us, 
We're not the cream of the crop. I don't know if I should break it to you now or later or whatever. We're not the cream of the crop related to how the world sees us. Paul was. He was the cream of the crop. But that's why God had to give him a thorn in the flesh. That's why God had to humble him. That's why God had to bring all of the tribulation to bring humility. He said he was given that thorn in the flesh because of the abundance of the revelations that he was receiving. So he would be lifted up in pride. So it's an advantage that we have. We don't have to go through as much humbling when we're the type of people that the world looks up to and we, you know, or the, one of those brilliant people and all those things. God has to do almost more work in us to get us to be usable in that sense than if we're just like us, a former break dancer who um, barely grad. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, if you're new here, um, former break dancer. I'm a, I'm a recovering break dancer. No, but um, barely graduated high school. Uh, I took freshman English three years in a row. I took freshman math two years in a row. I was a ninja at night in a ninja suit doing all kinds of crazy stuff at night. And, and my, my son would be cringing right now. And, and I you know, was a break dancer during the day. Not a lot of time for school and all that. I qualify as the foolish things of this world. But then God takes somebody that's 20 that receives Christ, slowly, step by step, working on his character, and he uses him. But just, so if he can use me, trust me, he can use <laughs> any of us. But God loves to take just the people that are just surrendered and just greatly, greatly uses them beyond anything they can imagine. It's we put our limitations on ourselves. We put limitations on ourselves that God doesn't put on us. So we have to just, okay, God, it's all your grace, 100%. How do you want to use me? I'm surrendered to you. What do you want to do through my life? I, I, I will do whatever you want me to do and just show me what it is and just go boldly forward in that and watch what happens. I really believe that there, and I'm not thinking of anyone specifically, but I believe there are people that you know that God wants to use you significantly. You've been holding back, and you know that. And and you're robbing yourself, and you're robbing the people that you're going to impact by holding back and and not going forward with that. And it's not a thing to condemn you. I'm just encouraging you to go forward and be used. You know, a lot of times you don't see ministries happen here, not because we don't want them, but because... We believe, and this is another Calvary Chapel distinctive that Pastor Chuck made popular, is where God guides, God provides. And I talked about this when we we talked about it's Jesus' church, let him build it. Is we wait for God to provide people with gifts and a desire to do certain things. So we may pray for years. There's things we've been praying for for years since we started the church, waiting for God to provide the people that have a heart and gifts to do certain things. But we're not going to have things and do certain things and have start certain ministries for the sake of doing them because someone tells us that we have to have that as a church or to, to be a legitimate church when there's, God hasn't provided the people to do it. So we take the gifts that God's provided and the people he's provided and we allow the Holy Spirit to shape the church how he wants it to be instead of trying to put people in places because we think we need that person uh, with those specific things, or we need that 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 ministry, we have to have it, or else the sky's going to fall in. You know, uh, no, that's not true. So that's, and when you have people that are supposed to be there, and they're they're called by God to be there, and they have gifts, and they're servants, and they're not impressed with themselves, and they they um, not boasting about how much they know and everything, and they're just available. Those are the people that God uses. So that's what we aim for. Not to say that we hit it every time for sure, but that's what we aim for 
So he doesn't want us to be ignorant. Look at all these different gifts that he talks about, these activities, the same Lord. But then he says in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The Holy Spirit manifests himself through gifts, in part. So there are gifts that he uses in people's lives, and he, I love the, how he words it here, the manifestation of the Spirit. We see the Spirit manifest himself in his gifts when people walk in one of his gifts at any given time. But notice the purpose at the end of verse 7, to give unto each one for the profit of all. So not only it says right here in this verse that each person is given at least one spiritual gift, that's clear, but he's saying the purpose of it is for the profit of all. The problem is, is that we're so self-focused, we think that the gifts of the Spirit are supremely for our benefit, but they're not. And that's what the church of Corinth was misunderstanding. It was very carnal in what they were engaged in. They were, it, was about, it was about them and not about seeking to bless somebody else. When you, if you have the gift of faith, let's say, let's just use that gift. If you have the gift of faith, it's not supremely for you to be able to trust God for things in your life. It's supremely to encourage others that they can trust God for the things in their life. Because it's for the profit of all. It's not supremely for you. So that's important for us to see that. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So he gives all these gifts specifically for specific purposes. Now, what all these gifts are, we don't have time to get into all of that. You can go on uh, our website. You can scroll back. I did a whole, I think, a 12-week series on the gifts of the Spirit and went in depth with each one and what they are and all of that. You can um, listen to that at your convenience. Um, but he gives all these gifts, and it's redundant on purpose to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. That would be a key word if you're doing an inductive Bible study of these verses. A key word would be another because it's repeated. And he's trying to say that there's all this diversity within the body of Christ and how beautiful it is because everybody's given different gifts. But notice he gets back to the common denominator in verse 11. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and as many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. So he says in verse 11, he distributes to each one individually as he wills. I can't give myself a gift. I can't make myself someone that has a gift. I can't give a gift to myself. It, it's his decision, how he wills how he wants us to have certain gifts. It's up to him. So we have to be surrendered to that. Now Paul's going to deal with, coming up here in the next few verses, he's going to deal with two ideas that are not right and not correct, not biblical. The first idea is, I'm not important in the body of Christ. And the second is, you are not important. <laughs> or you're not as important as I am. Because both of those are prevalent, can be in the body of Christ. 
I can think, well, my gift, it's, it's not whatever this gift or that gift. It's this kind of behind-the-scenes thing, or it's not that significant. And he says, no, 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 it's very significant. And, or we can think that, well, you know, you're not as important as I am. That's pride. And not valuing other parts of the body of Christ. The more you're involved in how the church functions, the more you're involved in ministry, the more you value all the gifts and how you see that they're all important. So let's look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, am I not of the body? Or I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? So again, we can we can want certain spiritual gifts and not have them and not be content. And God says, I distribute the gifts according to how I will. And so you have to be thankful for what you are. But then also, again, we can think that someone else's gift isn't that important. And, and he's saying, no, we can't all be the same thing. What if the whole body was one big eye? That would be weird. That would be very strange to, uh, to have a body that was all, all it was was an eye. Um, where, how could that thing hear? You know, um, it would be, what if you were just a foot? The the body was just one big foot. That'd be scary. You know, there's a lot of, there's, so it's a perfect imagery because when you have, you ever stubbed your toe or you have a a thorn in your toe or you have just a little something in your body and it's, it's so, it's not even a, a massive, huge pain, but it's, it's still prevalent, it's there, and it's so distracting, it's really hard for you to concentrate on anything else. Your, the whole, your whole body is consumed with this little ache that you have or this little problem that you have, and, and, and that's kind of the imagery that he's talking about. It's, it's, we need the whole entire body. The littlest parts of our bodies are important, and if you don't think that way or if you don't agree, try to do without it and see what happens. We need every single part of the body of Christ, and he emphasizes in Scripture that we're primarily one body who happen to be individual members, not the other way around. That's what we think in our culture, because we're so individualistic. But in Scripture, he says we're mainly a, a body that's one instead of individual members. And this will help you understand a little bit about why we do what we do related to when we come together corporately. It's corporate worship. It's not individual worship. It's, 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 it, we are worshiping individually, but we're also worshiping together as a body. So we don't want to do things that are called attention to ourselves and get people's attention off the Lord, but we're also in unity. That's why we take communion all together. And I know I'm not saying it's wrong. For have, you know, some churches do that where you get up and you go individually and you, you take communion yourself and all that. That's fine. It has its good points about it. But we're all one body. We're doing all this together. We take communion together. We worship together. We're giving together. We're, we're studying God's word together. Everything's supposed to be about how we're all in unity and all together as one. We're praying together. All these things. Yes, there's individual expression of those things, but... There's value in us doing it all together in unity, all at the same time. And he continues here in verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Sometimes people will talk about he can give spiritual gifts at different times or different needs. Like one, at one moment I may need to use this particular gift for someone in the body, so it will give me that gift for the moment and then I don't have that gift again. I personally don't believe that. And it's in part because of this verse right here. Because he, he says, 
he has set the members. See, he, he links our gifts to our position in the body. It speaks of permanence. It speaks of uh, how it's continuous. It's not speaking of a moment in time, I need this gift so God gives it to me and then it goes away. He's, he's linking it to a position in the body. He has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. So he's dealt with, I'm not important. My, I'm part, my position in the body is not important. Now he deals with, you're not important. In verse 21 and following. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem, notice the word seem there, which seem, excuse me, seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So we, we care for all parts of our body equally, as, you know, as, as humans. And he's saying that we should do the same thing. We can't look at one part of the body and say, you're not as significant. Don't ever say, I'm only a whatever, or I only do this. Because what you're doing is you're saying that what you're doing is not as important as other people. What I do up here... Is not, as, is not any more important than what someone else does. It's all needed. It's all critically important for disciples to be made. And I like this next uh, verse. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Do you see the collective impact that we all have on how interdependent uh, we are with one another? Regardless if we feel that way or think that way naturally, he says that's the case. That's how his body is, is comprised, interdependency. In Ephesians 4, he talks about, when he describes how we're all connected, he uses anatomical verbiage, like a human body's, you know, you describe a human body, how it's interdependent. He uses all those Greek words that would describe a human body because that's exactly how we are spiritually. We're interconnected and interdependent on one another. That's why you need the body of Christ. You need the church. And they need you equally. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Again, he says we're the body first and members individually. Which, And so he continues here. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but in earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will that I show you a, a more excellent way. So he's saying these are all appointed. Notice the word appointed in verse 28. God chooses. He decides who gets what gifts. He decides where you're set in the body of Christ, where you're positioned, where your influence is. He's the one that determines that. Not you, not me, not anybody else. He's the one that 
determines that. And these are all an amazing gifts. Again, I go into these in depth in the, the, the series that I did on the gifts of the Spirit or the series on the Holy Spirit. But notice all the rhetorical questions from verse 29, verse 29 and 30. He's speaking to the fact that he distributes these gifts according to how he wills. We're not all these things. That's why he's saying you can't all be an eye. You can't all be an ear. And he's, that's connected to these questions here. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? No, we're not all those things. Not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody has the interpretation of tongues. Not everyone has gifts of healings. That's okay. That's how he set it up. So we need to be thankful for those that have those gifts. And we need to be thankful for the gifts that we have. And if you don't know what your gifts are, start studying about spiritual gifts. Get the book Living Water by Pastor Chuck Smith. Start reading through that. Ask leaders. You know, have some time. So maybe schedule coffee with, with one of the leaders or whatever. And, and, and let's hear about what you have a heart to do, what your gifts are. Sometimes other people need to recognize those things or help us to recognize those things. And, and God wants you to know what your gifts are. And what's great is that sometimes these things can be revealed over a long period of time. There's someone that I knew that didn't find out that he had interpretation of tongues as a gift until years after we knew, started knowing the Lord. And he was, he was in a time where believers were waiting on the Lord and there was a gift of the Spirit uh, being expressed. And God revealed to him that he has that gift. And he stepped out in faith, again, like we talked about. And he walked in that gift for the first time after years of walking with the Lord and being used in ministry. So it doesn't mean that what he reveals now is going to, he's not done revealing. He may reveal something way down the line that you have that gift. But if you have that gift, you have it. It's not going away. And that's how he wants to, to, to use you, at least um, as he directs by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to look at one passage before we close, and that's a couple chapters over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. A couple chapters to the right. I'm going to just read one verse. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And I just wanted to focus on him saying we are to desire spiritual gifts. So there's two things. Chapter 12, verse 1 says to not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. So he wants us to grow in our knowledge of them, what ours are, and how we can function in those, and also learn about the other gifts that we don't have to appreciate those in the body of Christ who do have them. But secondly, in this verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he reveals that we're called to pursue love and to desire spiritual gifts. Now, he's, he's saying this to the church of Corinth, church. That's <laughs> the last people I think that he would say that to. They were overly zealous, in my view, in my natural, just how I cursory view of it, that they were overly zealous for spiritual gifts. And he says, you need to desire these spiritual gifts, church of Corinth. Which means that God loves spiritual gifts. And you can't be too zealous for spiritual gifts if you're functioning in them in a biblical way, a spirit-directed way, decently and in order, and, and you know all the ways that he prescribes in his word. And so he's called you to not be ignorant in spiritual gifts, and me, and he's called you and I to, to desire spiritual gifts. That's God's word for you. That's God's word for me. We need to desire them. We need to be, not be ignorant in them, and he wants to, to use us in them. 
I just think of all of the implications of the body of Christ not functioning in their gifts. We went over Ephesians chapter 4 where we, had, we saw the two pillars of disciple making. The one is the leaders equip the saints for the work of the church. That's the first pillar. And then in Ephesians 4 also, just under that, he says that each part of the body does its share. That's the other pillar. So the leaders equipping the church and then everybody else and the leaders using their gifts to build up the body. That's how disciples are made. And we can be all equipping and no gifts, and we can be all gifts and no equipping. God's called us to be both of those things and growing in both of those things. And our church has a long ways to grow in both of those areas. And so we have to continue to be stretched, continue to seek him. Seek not the gift, but seek the giver of the gift, and everything else will take care of itself. There's a lost world out there. They need mature believers that will preach the gospel to them. Those mature believers become mature in part by us using our gifts Whenever we're around other believers and, and we're using those gifts to build them up and help them mature. And without that, they're not going to be made into the disciples that they're called uh, to, to be a part of. So that's, that's what he's saying to us. So that's why we believe in all the gifts of the Spirit for today. There's no verse that says they went away. There's no verse that says they're gone. And we still need them because the church still needs to grow to be made into mature believers. So that's what he's called us to. And we're thankful for it. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for your grace. We pray, Lord, that you would use these verses, Lord, to make us into the mature believers you've called us to be. Help each one of us to know what your, what your gifts are that, that we have, Lord. And I pray you'd give us faith for the ones we do know about into stepping out and using them in, to the extent to which you've called us to walk in them, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help each one of us find where we're supposed to serve, to find where we can give our lives away. Jesus, you called us to serve. You, you said that you didn't come to serve or to be served, but to serve. And so we, we know that you've called us to the same thing. So we want to not be served. We want to be, uh, be an extension of you in this world and to serve people. And we need to know what your gifts are to be able to do that. So show us, Lord, and help us to do it boldly. In Jesus' name, amen.